0: This is the Elevate Podcast, where we have conversations to elevate your health, relationships, and soul. I'm Amanda Noga. I'm a yoga and Ayurveda practitioner. And each week I'm joined by my co host, holistic health coach Sarah Hopkins. So let's dive in to this week's episode. Today on the pod, we are talking about body image. So we all can agree that body positivity and diversity have officially made it into the mainstream consciousness, which is great, but we are a long way to go, I would say. We're very much a work in progress on this personally and collectively, if we want to actually get to the bottom of the internalized shame and this kind of misogyny that we carry as women around our bodies. So, like I said, we, Sarah and I, are very much a work in progress on this topic. So we wanted to talk through the different ways in which we perceive our bodies, all of the thoughts and the feelings and the beliefs that we hold and the way that we kind of navigate what we do in relation to our, our bodies. So, Sarah, I know you've got some feels and some thoughts about this topic. Yes. Start?
1: Well, I feel like, you know, I have had a very long-standing uh, relationship with the concept of my own body image.
0: When do you remember first becoming aware of yeah. your
1: body? I was thinking about this because, I mean, Doing some over the last couple of years, doing some of the Lacey Phillips work and working on shadow and stuff. I've done some um, sort of there's hypnosis tracks where you go back into your uh, childhood memories and look at triggers. And this is one thing that definitely comes up for me, and that I've tried to work through what the triggers were. And there's a couple of moments that stand out. One is. Sitting so at some point in my early adolescence, like or maybe just pre adolescent, pre pubescence, I started to gain weight. And so I'm a thin frame, like my bones are tiny. I'm that Vata to use the Ayurvedic doshas a bit here. I'm the Vata frame. Um, My bones are really tiny. So my arms and legs were still quite skinny, but I did start to accumulate a bit of weight so I had like a belly and just a little bit I'm pretty sure and like chubby little face and you know this is pretty normal for prepubescence and into early adolescence as well so um not that I knew that so I remember sort of maybe noticing that but I think one of the things that really sticks in my mind is I sat on my grandma bless her my paternal grandmother was like super blunt and sometimes just wasn't necessarily warm in the way that she communicated. And that was cultural for her. Like I'm not blaming her at all. That was just something she inherited from her forebears. So, you know, whatever. But I sat down on her lap and she commented that I definitely didn't need a cushion because my bum was nice and plump and I know and I remember that and I clocked that and then I just remember like wanting to cup my face in my hands in photos or sort of put my my head like with my hand pulling my chin sort of back does that make sense like Mm -hmm. make my face look thinner in photos like I remembered that and so they're the two things that stick out in my mind that maybe were moments that I realised that there was something about my body that wasn't congruous with what some external force was telling me was the right way for my body to look. And
0: Where do you think those messages were coming from that, you know, even like to to clock the comment from your grandma as being, a negative one you know, know like that could, know. that could go either way from the yeah. way that you're describing it but, but obviously obvious you took it a negative. a negative comment well I
1: think there was there must have been a tone in that it's interesting because my brother and I have both got the same body image stuff like we've both got body sort of dysmorphia and propensity to obsess about how our body looks like I feel like and we'll, we'll come back to this but I feel like you know I've done a lot of work on that and I don't know if my brother has but um I see it reflected and I remember a moment in I think our early adulthood when he was grabbing his belly fat and like looking down and being like oh I've got this belly and like he's really quite lean and And muscly as, you know, um, subjectively, I'm also in pretty good shape. Um, And I just looked at him and went, that's what I do. Like literally mirror Mm. image of what I do. And that made me go, where did we get that from? Because my mum does not have the same body image stuff. Like she could actually care sort of less about how her body looks and she never has. And so it's come from somewhere and I think it's my dad. Um, And so I think my dad probably got it from his grandma, which is the paternal Mm -hmm. grandma that I was Mm -hmm. referring to. So I'm actually just only thinking of this right now as we speak. This is the first time I've really joined the dots, so to speak. But I think that there was something in the way she was saying that that was that it's not okay. Your bum on my lap here is not okay like this. And I don't think it was me interpreting it. I think I was being told that having a bony butt would have been preferable yeah for sure you know and so that was the start of my never-ending quest to shrink my body um and you know throughout my adolescence I think I yeah was just always feeling overweight and not happy with my body and then um you know, by the time I was in my late, very late teens, I was starting to punish my body with purging. I use laxatives to purge um, and bouts of starving myself as well. And maybe I, I even did some of that stuff earlier, but I think, and obviously that caused all sorts of health issues and punishing exercise and all of that stuff. And that's a lot of that stuff sort of continued into even my early thirties, but um, in some form but yeah I suppose the overarching theme was I'm not okay as I am and mm. I need to change my body and I need to be thinner and it's really important <laughs> that, I, mm. that I shrink my body you know in fact it was like at some points of my life it was all consuming all consuming yeah. it was like all that I thought about and all that I wished for and yeah, it makes me it makes me
0: sad to think,
1: to think about that, and to think about how much time and energy I wasted on something as shallow. I mean, subjectively shallow as my appearance, and you know the number on the scales that I stood on.
0: Yeah, I mean, you can say shallow, but it's also when your family and culture that surrounds us is placing so much value on how we look of course we start to think of that as the most important thing especially well it's interesting that you say that your brother has the same issues because I would have I guess said that it was more of a female thing but no I think we all we all suffer from this body image kind of magnification oh and it's just everywhere. I remember when I was like, yeah, around that same age, like maybe 11 or 12, becoming cognizant of like the male gaze, you could say, wanting to look hot to the boys in my school. mm. And I remember, you know, like even in like this would have been, I must have been so young, like reading Barbie magazine. And I distinctly (laughs) remember this article that was teaching you, teaching the girls that, you should always wear vertical stripes, never wear horizontal stripes because it will make you look bigger. And if you want to look more slender and long, then you have to wear vertical stripes. And I totally, I remember that so vividly and I must've, you know, at the time, thought, okay, that's really important. And I remember as well, um, not so much, I can't remember any instances of body comments being directed to me personally, but I, very much remember hearing my mum and my aunties and my grandmother talking about their own bodies and each other's bodies and the different ways in which they were, you know, (laughs) wrong. Yeah, And wanting to join my mum on these, like, fad diets in the 90s, like cabbage (laughs) soup diet. Do you remember that? Yes. Oh,
1: my God. I did so many of those fad diets.
0: But isn't it interesting? It's like no wonder we metabolise this idea that being overweight is – the worst thing that you can be as a woman
1: yes yes but isn't it interesting that you like what you said is that for men it's also there like I really when I thought about this conversation today and I thought about what we were going to talk about I was really only going to and I think you were the same man's like really talk about the experience of all of this cultural stuff around shrinking us as women but it isn't just women it is men and for men it's it might be different I mean they have to make themselves bigger bigger Mm
0: -hmm. but they
1: still have to be lean like there's only one type of body for the female gaze you know um and I was listening to something a podcast recently And I can't remember what podcast it was, but they were talking about how, um, like, if you look at, like, superheroes of in, like, even the original Superman, like, he was, like, he was actually pretty normal. Like, his body was just, like, a normal, like, thin man, right? But over time, like, Batman and Superman, they were all, they just looked like a man in the 1950s or whatever, like, just, Mm. like, mm, not ripped, like, not huge, nothing. But over time, all of those superheroes have become this, like, massive, hyper, hyper, yeah, like, the muscle man, like, they're, like, super ripped and, like, huge, their biceps and their their chest, their pecs, and, like, they've got an eight-pack. It's, like, we have projected this image of the perfect man onto Mm. even all the superheroes now. They can't even just, like, Clark Kent can't just be a normal man you know um mm. so it is pervasive across both genders
0: yeah. yeah you're right not um, yeah i mean we don't i guess i can only speak for my own experience but i can definitely correct. see for my my brothers as well and for my husband as well like being told that they were too skinny or so skinny you know yes. and i guess from the women in their life that might have been, well, I know in my family that would have been like something to be kind of jealous of. Like, Oh, these boys can just, oh, man, like at the dinner table, these, my two brothers could just eat like these mountains of pasta and carbs and like, you know, I have three plates for dinner, and me and my sister would be like, "Oh, we have to just eat salad, <laughs> <laughs> like, otherwise we're just gonna, you know, just smell the pasta, and we're gonna start stacking on the weight." And you totally. know, it's just oh, food. I mean, I guess there's two like parts to this: is the movement and the exercise part, and then there's the food part. Yeah, I guess I I feel really lucky to have found yoga pretty early. Because that was a total game changer for me because all of a sudden my priority or the way that I was perceiving my body changed from how does it look to, you know, what my body can do and how my body feels Mm. rather than, you know, just how it looks. And I was like, oh, it it was a revelation to me at the time of like, oh, my body is more than what it looks like. But, yeah, food was still very, very fraught for me. I was remembering yeah. in, like, kind of thinking about this, you know, episode idea, I was remembering in at uni I would not eat all day so that when I went to see my boyfriend in the evenings I would have, like, a totally flat stomach. <laughs> Isn't that just? <gasps> oh, my god! I mean, I think I look back and I'm like, that is insane. But I didn't even think of it as any, like, it was just, like, common sense to me at the time. And my stomach probably looked, like, no different to you. (laughs) No different.
1: I remember in my early 30s, so, you know, still not that far away, or maybe it was late 20s. But anyway, you know, I was an adult and should have known better. I would do, you know, the Terry, What? uh, no, they were like, it was like a, shake that you a shake program and it was a certain name of like a doctor or something i -hmm. was gonna say terry white but that's a chemist so i can't remember what the name of the shakes were but they were quite sort of well known and they were for like really fat people that sounds terrible to say but they were for people that were obese or that were like had quite a lot of weight on them to just sort of kick start their weight loss and a lot of people would do like two shakes a day I would go, like, if I had, like, something on, like, on that weekend, like a ball or even just a party or something, I would go and buy those shakes and I would just drink those shakes for, like, the week before mm. so that I was just starving, basically, and I would just be a bit skinnier.
0: Like, Yeah. I mean, what it would have actual... been a fraction, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. It would have been water weight. that would just, like, as soon as I ate, it would have come back on. But I would just, yeah, the same thing, like basically just be starving my body of all nutrients for like an entire week so that I would look subjectively a little bit thinner. It's just absolutely ridiculous thinking about it.
0: Yeah. And thinking back as well, like the times, it kind of goes both ways. So far in this chat we have sort of, I guess, talked about how we both internalize that idea that we need to be skinnier, need to be smaller, need to be shrinking. But when I look back in hindsight now, all of the times in my life where I've been my skinniest is actually the times that I was also the most sad and highly anxious and usually like going through like a breakup or, you know, something not ideal. Mm. And so even in those times I was preoccupied with how my body looked. It's not like being skinny suddenly absolved me from that obsession. It's so totally. can you relate to that? Yeah,
1: I I did a post about this quite a while ago now on my Instagram. It was actually a friend of mine that um she asked for people to share a vulnerability. It was quite a while ago. Anyway, when I started my health journey sort of more authentically, because I think that my uh, some of my obsession with health might have been, if I think back, if I'm honest, was fueled by like changing my body. So I was like constantly reading health books, but I think that it was like I can lose weight if I can find the answer, you know? Um, but when I started the check stuff and started to realise that being thin was not necessarily synonymous with authentic health. Right. And started to realise that not having a period might be a sign of like doing crazy punishing shit to my body. (laughs) Um, which it obviously was. And so I started to realise, oh, okay, I have to nourish my body with food and sunlight and clean water and Um, calm my nervous system and do all these other and and have, you know, my values in alignment and, you know, all of those other things and that is real health, not just, like, whipping my body into submission.
0: Right. Uh, There's, Um, like, the health at any size movement happening now as well, which is cool to see.
1: Yeah, exactly. My body became a lot healthier over that time. But the thinnest that I ever became really was after I had wrath and that wasn't even with, that was without trying. Um, And I was like my dream weight that I had always wanted to be and I was like, whoa, like what the hell? Like I had my baby weight and my baby weight just like literally melted off me and I was like jumping on the scales because I was 64 kilos or something and obviously that's not my normal weight. And then I was like, hang on a minute, (laughs) like I'm down, I'm like, you know, four, five kilos down what I was. But the thing is, and I was like, this is awesome, obviously, because, and I, you know, like I said, I wasn't trying anymore. I had resigned myself is not the right word, but I had accepted that my weight was a certain number. And I knew that that number was healthy. And I knew that that number gave me a 28 day cycle and that number gave me wrath right and so Mm. I had totally made peace with that number and of course I always was like oh it would be nice to be thinner but I was always I could check myself and say but thinner means no period and thinner means you know uh not health and all of those things but then when this happened and I got that number I still had those same thoughts I was still like oh but I'm not happy with this or you know like it was still there like that I guess my point is for me, the body dysmorphia or that like the devil on my shoulder that still says, you know, oh, your arms are a little bit fat or you've got a little bit of extra like, you know, body fat on your belly or whatever. That's still there. It's less, it's quieter. I know how to negotiate with it. I think for me, it will always be there. But the thing is, even when I was like absolute dream, dream, dream weight. without even trying, it was still there.
0: Mm, Because the beliefs go so much deeper than what is on the scales. And this train of thought is also still subscribing to the idea that being skinny or being underweight is a good, is a positive thing. And also
1: that it's going to bring you the Whatever it is that you know, the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, like it doesn't equal fulfillment. No, it doesn't give you. It did. It did feels good. Like you know, it feels good to be in the skinny jeans and they're loose. You know, like for a moment. But that's it. Like it doesn't. It's not ultimately. It's fulfilling. not sustaining.
0: No. And so these beliefs that we hold so deeply and it's like you said in the very beginning it's multi-generational isn't it I definitely know it from my grandmother and you've kind of mentioned the same thing so it's going to take I think a bit of work and maybe generations for us to truly dismantle the body shame that we are carrying and the like internalized misogyny that we're also carrying around the body I don't know if that has been relevant for you like do you feel your desire to be skinny quote unquote is it more for yourself or more for the female gaze or more for the male gaze that's a really good question I
1: don't actually know I feel like I've noticed that there are certain people that i Feel like a little bit more conscious of my body around. Like, obviously, I think that I have a pretty good relationship with my body image now. And it's something that I'm constantly working on. And maybe we'll talk about that in more detail. But I feel like I'm very aware of it and conscious of it. And um, yeah, like I said, have a healthier mindset and practice around it. But I do feel that there are people in my. Life that I am more conscious of it around and like so certain family members like my auntie which is on the patriarchal side that's related to my maternal the patriarchal
0: side side. (laughs) like Freudian sleep
1: yeah exactly um yeah that's the the daughter of that grandmother she Mm -hmm. my auntie I feel like exacerbated around her for me I don't think it is much about the male gaze I actually don't I think it's more about my own demon stuff, I think, and maybe some like familial
0: stuff. What mm-hmm. about you? What the do you inherited think? kind of shadow stuff? Yeah, um, I feel like I've got two prongs of it going on. I've definitely got the familial stuff. I remember like coming back from I guess it would have been one of my first big trips away from Australia. I went to the States to work at this um my like kids summer camp for for the summer and of course the food there was super limited and not Disgusting. healthy to say the least <laughs> yeah pair that with drinking like ridiculous amounts of cocktails like sugary cocktails every night like of course I I put on weight and I was definitely conscious about coming back home to Australia and I was like as soon as I came back I think even before I hit landed in the country I had already like joined the gym and made this plan because I didn't want to yeah even see people looking how I looked at that time which again looking back it was it was nothing it was ridiculous Mm. but yeah the food well yeah just going back I feel like there's two prongs I've got like the familial stuff and then also the male gaze but I feel like there's that's two different body that are desirable you know there's definitely like the skinny um kind of representation that oh you've got your shit together you're successful you know everything's going well if you're skinny I've inherited that kind of thought from my family wow um but then the male stuff I definitely remember being aware of that from a young age and yeah, wanting to look sexy and wanting to have bigger boobs and all of that sort of stuff for the male gaze as well. And when I say the male gaze, I'm really talking about other kids. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I probably mean, couldn't give two shits about you know my body. Like, yeah, it's yeah. just so self-obsessive, isn't it? Hey, it's Amanda, and I'm here to fill you in on where to go to get started on living your best life yet. Paths to You is my online membership where I weave together the teachings of yoga and Ayurveda to guide you back to your true nature, your best self. It's the most affordable way to receive all of my online workshops. There's everything from detoxing and doshas, sleep and sex, women's cycles, and the corresponding yoga practices that go alongside the information shared so that you can truly embody your unique expression of health and vibrancy. There's also a really special 40-day path included that walks you through the inner work of living with more passion, power, and purpose. So to get started with your seven-day free trial, head to the Paths To You website linked in the show notes. And now, back to the episode. But I remember yeah. as well, like, when I started um, getting into food, being, I guess, in charge of my own food, I remember thinking, like, uh, I've cracked the code now. Like, I, especially in my, like, raw vegan days, um, I, it's one of those times where I became super, super skinny and also super, super anxious. Um but I remember at the time thinking, Oh, this is it. I am free from all of those inherited patterns. I've yeah, I've cracked the code and I'm gonna be good. <laughs> like I'm free of my family patterns, you know? Yeah. But it's not even that. Like we were saying, it it's so much deeper. It runs so much deeper than what is on the scales. And it's really this yeah, these deep held beliefs. And I'm kind of, I guess, reaching a new phase of it all now as well because like I said a little bit earlier when my perception of my body changed from the most important thing being how it looked to the most important being what it could do that's still like gaining self-esteem from that or gaining confidence from that sure it was a healthy phase and I guess a step in the right direction but now I'm also starting to think like that's not it either like we need to be free Mm -hmm. or I need to be free from ascribing my my confidence or my you know self-acceptance to what my body can do what if it couldn't do anything exactly what if it didn't feel good
1: yeah and I mean that is also like that's very I mean I don't like to use that word shallow but the yoga it was helpful for you totally but that whole like you know it, that sort of feeds into that whole yoga thing about being, you know, the best at all of those postures, you know, and we've spoken about that on various episodes, you know, the sort of the ego attached
0: to the physical practice of yoga. Totally. So, oh, my you gosh, know, gosh. That's... The yoga scene is fraught with body dysmorphia. And that That, body
1: stuff too, isn't it? Because it's like you have to have a certain type of body to be able to even twist your body into the shapes required for those types of yang style yogas that are so sort of popular.
0: Yeah. And and there's a reason why they're so popular. It's because it changes your body radically, for better or for worse. I'm not saying that that's necessarily a good thing. Um, and yeah, I won't go too much more into that, but the, I guess I was lucky to have really solid teachers when I was first getting into yoga and there was a huge emphasis on it not being competitive and not being Mm. interested in what other people could do or comparing. And so that was really, really drilled into me. And I feel like I kind of metabolized that quite eagerly at the time. And I, I did learn to to stop comparing and definitely stop competing. Competing was not interesting to me because, mm. yeah, I mean, it's just not my, it's not my constitution. But um, not to say that's not a big part of the scene, especially if we're looking like on Instagram. And yeah. I'll just say, like, if you are going through your feed and you find yourself having those comparing thoughts to someone else's body unfollow them <laughs> just yeah. clean up your feed that's that's just like that's a good recommendation myself. um
1: so I want to hear what you because you have articulated this before somewhere to me and I feel like you have some really good thoughts around like what what is this because We are all as women, it's very rare to find a woman that is not attached to her body and is not trying to change the shape of her body. And, you know, we could argue that at the moment there is a a shifting in, you know, I grew up, you're a little bit younger than me, but I grew up in the waif era, you know, like Kate Moss and um Grunge. you know really really skinny 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 models and that's um a, a couple of my gen x friends and I have said that that's sort of like permeated into our psyche where we see the girls that are you know the Kardashian sort of look now with the really big butts and everything and it's like you couldn't convince me for love or money to try and like give myself that sort of shape I mean I would obviously never be able to emulate that emulate that shape because (laughs) that's not my body but uh, it doesn't matter what the body looks like we're always trying to change our shape and you know these new shapes are as unattainable nobody has a massive bum and a tiny tiny little waist like that and then boobs and you know we're not even going to talk about plastic surgery but you know there's there is this continual desire to coerce and force our bodies into a shape that they are just for the vast majority of us never going to be and yeah what what is that about what does that distract us from and you know what is the accidental outcome or who knows intentional outcome of that and i know you've got some thoughts on it
0: well Yeah, whether it's the Kate Moss or the Kim Kardashian, either way, they're just two ends of the same, two sides of the same coin and both, like you say, really irrelevant for most women to even bother (laughs) looking at that image and trying to attain it. And this is all still subscribing to the idea that we need to be different than how we are. And, of course, I guess the one-word answer to this question is capitalism. <laughs> if, we, if we are not wanting to change ourselves, if we are truly accepting ourselves, and I, I kind of also want to move away from just self acceptance as the goal, because acceptance is sort of like giving settling. Up. Yeah. yeah. It's like I want to be embracing and celebrating all of the bodies. Yeah. Not just accepting, like that seems like a low bar for me at the moment. Yeah, cool. But if we're not, yeah, seeking to change ourselves, i.e., buy products, yeah, and yeah, morph ourselves into the like whatever is the trendy shape to be, then the whole system sort of collapses. Well, the
1: whole um like beauty, fitness. The The majority of of health, yeah, all of those systems collapse and, you know, they are prolific,
0: you know, components. And they are propped up. Like our thoughts, our beliefs about our body that we've kind of unpacked here a little bit, all of those thoughts are what gives the structure to these current systems. When we stop thinking this way and believing these these things about our bodies and each other's bodies, let's not, like, we haven't even gone into, like, a judgment of other people. But, I mean, when we stop thinking that way, stop believing that way, then the whole system has nothing to prop itself up against. It just dissolves, you know. We are the ones, actually, as much as we can kind of complain about the systems at play and be a victim to it, we are also fully participating in them and actually propping them up. But to play devil's advocate here, you know,
1: how? How do we how do we not when like, if you open Instagram, even if you're unfollowing those accounts, you're still seeing bodies and you're seeing, you know people objectifying themselves in many occasions. you're seeing fashion, you're seeing... And then if you turn on the TV, whether it's, you know, watching like a streaming service or, you know, free-to-air, which obviously not many people are watching, but some are. You know, we're we're flooded and surrounded by it constantly. Mm. Like it is, it's a good, in theory, to say we need to step outside of that. But practically, if you look at your phone, you're getting it. Like even if you go to Mamma Mia, let's say, like, supposedly body positivity and everything there's going to be so many things sent back to you as you know subconscious messaging around even if it's about beauty do you know what I mean
0: it's yeah totally it's so deep it's so deep and it's it's prolific it is everywhere that we look and we actually can't wait for the external Triggers to go away. It's an inside job. This is where it has to start. We have to start deliberately dismantling these ideas, this body shame that we have from the inside out, so that when we do, you know, see those images and we are going to be bombarded with them for probably at least another generation to come, we can look at them and not be triggered. We can consume that content without it being a reflection on our own self-worth and our own or a trigger for our own shame you know mm. this is why it has to be the self-work first we can't just wait for the magazines to catch up or magazines don't even exist anymore <laughs> <laughs> the digital magazines <laughs> well we can't wait like and yeah you can do little things sure like you can curate your feed you can diversify your feed you can be conscious about the media that you are consuming the shows that you're watching Sure, they're all like, I guess, baby steps and helpful, yes. But if you want to make a real difference and actually come into that place of not only accepting your body, and I'm talking like totally for myself here as well, you know, not garnering my self-esteem, not garnering confidence from the ideas about what my body can do or how my body feels, but actually embracing and celebrating the body for as it is, no matter what like, unconditional self-celebration is what I'm going for. Unconditional. Like, and I, you know, it's coming to mind, like, when I had dengue fever a few years ago, that was the first time that I actually had the experience of not being able to do what I wanted to do with my body. I was so weak. I developed this, like, Inflammatory arthritis after the um, actual virus had like left my system. The impact on my immune system was just crazy. Like, and for me, like I couldn't even do. This is going to sound dumb, but I couldn't do like a downward dog for at least three months. And as a yoga teacher, that is kind of like an essential thing. And you know, <laughs> as a yoga practitioner, to not be able to move in my body the way that I had become used to, it was really humbling. And so that's, I guess, what's coming to mind when I think about not wanting to invest my self-esteem or self-worth in what my body can do, because at the end of the day, we have to embrace our bodies, yeah, unconditionally, even if we're just like totally diseased and, you know, laying in a hospital bed or we have a disability or an accident or whatever, you know, anything can happen. And so we have to be kind of resilient in that way and embracing the body no matter what. Something else I really want to talk about is pregnancy and body image because that's major and I know it was for you as well. Like I personally loved being pregnant and I loved my pregnant body and my I felt really actually liberated in my pregnancy because I was like, oh, not, like, worried about having a flat stomach. And I was, like, yeah, happy to let it get soft and, like, get huge, you know. I was, like, yes. It was really, really liberating. I felt so freed up. Um, and, of course, now, like, postpartum, there's all of the temptation to think about, oh, like, getting my body back to how it used to be. But no, like, I'm – I can – actually see that pretty clearly in my in my own like thoughts that I actually love my my belly the way it is now and I think you know it reminds me like looking at how my body's changed it reminds me of the most epic thing that I've ever done which is create my little baby and I feel Mm -hmm. like as women that's our power like as women women we change. We change on a monthly basis. We change throughout the cycles of our life. You know, our mood changes, our boobs change, our bellies change, everything about us changes. And that's, that's like using yoga language. That's the power of Shakti. That's the female power is to be endlessly changing and endlessly creating. And Mm. so I, I really, like I'm personally in a really good place about that now, but I know that can be a huge trigger for for many women to, um, you know, post-pregnancy. It's like totally. so fraught.
1: And it's so toxic, like, and I feel like I might have fed into this because I did, well, the post that I did, I think I posted a picture of me pregnant and then a yes, picture of me postpartum. No, not that one, another one that I did, a vulnerability post um, that I referred to at the beginning because Mm. my body did bounce back to that sort of socially acceptable, um, you know, bouncing back body, which, you know, was just – Or like you you bounced beyond. (laughs) I did. And actually, you know, the side that didn't – that nobody saw of that was that I was really run down like that Rafa just sucked the bloody life out of me and I was working and I ended up with this horrible like rash for a couple of maybe like close to a month I remember I had this horrible rash on my body like postpartum that might be this pregnancy rash you get called pups so sort of like eczema um and such a cute name I know it's an acronym for something but I can't remember what it is but yeah like I was run down like that wasn't like me glowing with health anyway that was just me being like completely sucked of all (laughs) resources I will say like
0: from the Ayurvedic lens there's definitely a big emphasis on on like super nourishing the mother postpartum and not losing excess weight and as the vata dosha type that's a big tendency i've seen it with lots of clients and lots of friends actually who yeah get very very skinny postpartum and it is Mm. because literally yeah baby's sucking everything and if you're not like super topped up super full cup overflowing cup of nutrients then it yeah it's it's not necessarily a a good marker of health no,
1: and I I look back and I think, you know, I did so much work to nurture my body for literally years in preparation for Raph, not even knowing that it was for Raph, but but I was conscious of my fertility and, and the garden bed, but, you know, like just that he still was capable of taking it all, which he needed to, and that postpartum I didn't do any of that stuff, you know, but that that I was congratulated for that. Like yeah, I was given such positive reinforcement of like, oh my god, like look at you, like look how quickly you bounce back, and you know like that was, and that's not representative of authentic health, Health. the embodiment of health. Yeah, totally agree. Um, And I want to talk about my transformation that is imminent, and we are going to dedicate a whole episode to it. So I'm not going to go into too much detail, but my body is maybe changing and it's making me feel uncomfortable even talking about it because there is so much resistance and it's sort of it's not maybe changing it is changing and that's amazing (laughs) no I'm joking yeah it is I mean I've even in the last few months I think I've noticed a few subtle changes in my physiology I'm 45 in six months time or just over so I'm literally like it's not questionable that I'm perimenopausal because that can start from age 35 so I'm definitely perimenopausal um and so you know it's even more important that I can start to continue to embody you know my personal practices which we'll go into and yours as well around the body accepting or embracing and loving as you would say um, or surrendering maybe is an even better word, you know, the body in all its different stages because everybody thinks that it's not going to happen to them if they do have a fairly good shape um, sort of into perimenopause and menopause. But if you do look around, the the body of a 50-, year old woman is different. And so I guess...
0: But I'm just going to pull you up here because... I just want to shine the light on the way that we use language and I do it as well but even saying like what is a good shape like saying, Yes,
1: totally. Totally. It's subjective, isn't it? And it's the it's the stuff, it's the body image stuff.
0: Yeah. Um I mean, but yeah. We are I, all different and that's that's who was saying it I was listening to something really good the other day but um like evolutionarily speaking We need diversity. We're supposed to be different.
1: Mm. Every tree is
0: different. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And I think sorry, no, but I
1: think no, no, no. That was that was a really important point to make. And I think to follow on from your comments around pregnancy, as women, particularly, we get so many opportunities to embody change and to and to live
0: with the change.
1: Yeah. And so I'm going through a transformation. We all probably are, you know, like you said, it can be um, weekly and monthly and cyclically and tied into pregnancy and prepubescence and pubescence and menopause and postmenopause. There's so many changes.
0: Yeah. Well, like our beautiful um, interviewee guest, Jane Hardwick Collings, if you haven't listened to that episode definitely go back and listen to it because she's amazing. But as she teaches, you know, as women we have these sacred rites of passage and they are all opportunities for us to up-level, to heal, yeah, to heal to those heal. wounds that we're holding on to. And she, I think she said it in our episode of like menopause is the the rite of passage where we kind of heal any anything that is kind of left up in the air from... All of those years of mothering and being a woman, basically, being in the world, everything that we've internalized, everything that we've been triggered by is going to rear its ugly head for transformation, to be Mm. transformed. Mm, And so, this is like an opportunity. This is such a good opportunity. Um, but we'll save that I'm gonna for the menopause episode. <laughs>
1: and we'll save that for the menopause episode where we will dive yes. deep and you can just be my pure cheerleader. Um, but do you want to share – we haven't really shared what we do, what our personal practices might be, have been, are. So, I mean, obviously you've related to the yoga quite a lot, but is there anything else you want to share that you sort of practice, embody – Create
0: around mm. your own body image? Well, like I said in the beginning, it's very much a work in progress and always like I guess an ongoing practice, especially around food. Yeah, I mean there's just so much food and movement is where it's up for me. But not to be a broken record, but yes, yoga, of course. It's been so, so supportive for me. And I would just I would just recommend it for anyone. And <laughs> you know, if going to the, a yoga class is triggering in terms of comparing or looking around and thinking, oh, my body doesn't look like that other person or the teacher or whatever, then find another class or, you know, go online. There's so many amazing online platforms now that have, you know, diverse teachers and um, I think it is really important to feel comfortable and to not let that put you off if that is putting you off. Um, Because I know there are some studios where you rock up and everyone looks like, a model and everyone's wearing their mm. lululemon and that can be really weird. And that's something quite new as well. Like I in my yoga journey, which just sounds really lame, but I <laughs> saw that shift happen. Like back in the day when I used to go to yoga classes as like a you know, a fresh faced young <laughs> student. Everyone was just wearing like their boyfriend's daggy T shirt or like, you know, <laughs> yes. their their like gross like sweatpants or whatever, and now it's like a whole outfit to, yes. to wear the to yoga class. So, you know, there's definitely been a lot brought into that kind of pure space that was a yoga sanctuary and now it's kind of fra- fraught with its own issues. So I guess my point is if you're not vibing with your local studio or, you know, a class that you've rocked up to and it's triggering body image issues for you then find another place because the yoga works the yoga actually works and of course I'm going to say it again I am a broken record but abhyanga self massage is the most nourishing loving practice that anyone can do it doesn't take long I've talked about it a million times <laughs> but seriously for me it was like not so much about the body image stuff but really cultivating this trust in my body and like an intimate relationship with my own body and getting really clear feedback from my feelings and my emotions and my intuition and like there's it was just yeah very very important for me uh, when I first kind of committed to the practice I'm sure I've said it before but when I first started doing Abhyanga I promised to myself I'd do it every day for 40 days and I did and it's No underestimation to say that that completely changed my life because shortly after I pretty much blew up my whole life and sold my yoga studio, left my partner of nine years, left my house, (laughs) left the country, like my whole life changed. And that was really because I was learning to trust my body and actually listen to my feelings and trust my Mm. feelings, not just hear them and then like put them back in a box, but actually trust them and follow them and like go with them so yeah self massage is where it's at i can't go on about it enough and
1: i i have to just agree before i sort of make my recommendation hello it's sarah here and i'm just briefly interrupting this episode to tell you a little bit more about what i offer So I've worked with literally hundreds and hundreds of women, helping them transform their health, hormones, fertility, and more. And I absolutely love working one-on-one with women because we're all uniquely different. So if you're interested in learning more about coaching with me, or if you're ready to book an initial consultation, you'll find the link in the show notes. I look forward to hearing from you. Definitely for me, Abhyanga, which has only been a sort of semi-recent practice, has been really good as well, like just to sort of reiterate what you're saying, Mandy, and the thing that made me, that motivated me to start doing Abhyanga was actually, I listened to a podcast, I think it might have been Laura Plum. Oh yeah, um, she's amazing. Yeah, and she was talking about one of her clients that had sort of always hated his body for whatever reason, it was a man and that he'd started the practice of abhyanga and he had said that he'd ma- he'd sent her a message and just said i actually love my body for the first time in you know <gasps> 50 years because yeah, i'm i'm interacting with every part of my body and seeing it and touching it
0: yeah so, and if you're wanting to work like specifically on like body love and yeah radical kind of like unconditional self acceptance in that way, then you can make the Abhyanga practice really dedicated to that and like, you know, every time you touch a different part of your body, like it's giving love and giving gratitude to that part of your body or whatever it might be. Mm, definitely.
1: Um. So I think Abhyanga has been good for me and I think my my practice has, I suppose over the years, it has a bit like your yoga practice. It has been about transitioning away from how i look and into how i feel being a better gauge of healthy and i mean i guess even that is potentially tenuous as i get older although i, I really hope not um but just you know checking myself if i find that there is a dialogue there cuz there still is a dialogue there you know like mm-hmm. just recently I bought a pair of jeans and the button broke. This this wasn't a trigger. The button breaking wasn't a trigger. The button broke. They didn't feel that tight. And it was this epic drama where they couldn't have any more pairs and they, they sent my pair back and then they didn't have a replacement pair and then it was just this, like, never-ending drama of this pair of jeans because they're from the States. But finally they sent a pair back. They credited me. They said they couldn't and then they found a pair of jeans and they sent it back. And I put these new jeans on and they were high waisted jeans. They weren't super skinny, but they were slim leg, high waist, really high waist. Like, you know how the trend is like, not just high waist, but like really quiet. I don't know. It's just, it's higher than I'm used to. And maybe that's just our generation again, but super high waist. And I put on this new pair of jeans and oh my God, they were so tight. Like I had a camel toe from the crutchness of them (laughs) and I had muffin tops created by the jeans by the way like not actual muffin tops people that were just like I fell I spiraled into the worst I need to just starve myself for 10 weeks sort of headspace like I just I spiraled and just recently and I I had to take those jeans back and I was like I was literally mentally disturbed by it And then I bought the size up and there was something about that. So I was obviously just being triggered on all of these levels about my body image again, which just goes to show that it is literally enduring and a work in progress for all of us. Um, But then the pair that I bought that were a size up ended up stretching and getting quite big. And I was like not happy with those. And I had not objectively lost weight. And I ended up buying... The same pair in the purported size of the ones that didn't fit me online and they just arrived and they fit me perfectly. And what actually I've realized happened is that they had, they had sent that pair of jeans attached with the wrong must be. This is only what I can gather. Those jeans were like a size 23 or something. Absolutely ridiculous. And they'd been sized wrong. But because they'd been sized wrong, and because I put them on, and I thought that they were this size, and because I fit that exact size before, it just created this huge, like, remission—not remission, like it re-triggered all these old skeletons in me, and it was just like a wrong size of machines, Do you know what I mean? And so I suppose that was a just a a never-ending, or well, not never-ending, but it was just another moment of realizing. Oh wow, like there's still stuff here, and I still have to um, firstly talk myself back off that silly ledge and come back to my health and my well being. It's a daily practice to not I think, punish myself.
0: I guess something that's worth noting is just how fragile our, you know, if, like I said before, if we're placing ourselves esteem or self-acceptance on a size or a number Mm. on the scales how how delicate that is you know and you know one little comment or one little incorrectly sized pair pair of of (laughs) jeans like can can knock us off you know that feeling that's why it really has to be this deep inner rewiring of embracing our bodies no matter what so that we can be resilient because things in the world are going to trigger us or we are going to be you know faced with things that that are just in our culture you know yeah and so for them not to be triggering like for for a pair of pants to cause you this much turmoil is Not acceptable.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, it, like objectively, it wasn't that much turmoil, and I think one of my practices, and I'll, I suppose part of it will be a recommendation, but it's that I, I am aware, I'm so aware of it now that I'm like, yeah, you know, oh wow, like I'm really triggered right now <laughs> by this muffin tongue created by these genes, you know, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, the fact that I can see, like a lot of people are not even conscious of what they're saying to themselves what they're feeling, what they're doing to their bodies, you know, mm-hmm. what, they're, what they're seeing, what they're um, being subjected to by, you know, mainstream media and beyond, you know. So awareness is definitely at least the first step.
0: And I think, like, just to touch on that point of awareness, both of us, you know, as as parents, <laughs> we are both testament to this um, experience that what we witnessed and the comments that we were the subject of as children kind of shaped our whole adulthood or definitely Mm. contributed to our adulthood so I guess my point is like as parents we need to be so aware and not just of girls but boys as well so aware of the way that we're speaking to ourselves and of course how what we're saying to them Around their body, mm,
1: and I and I feel like there is a lot more consciousness around that with parents now. And I have friends that you know they they don't say that it, they don't like to talk about their body, and they don't like to talk about diet. But it needs to be done. Well, it doesn't need to be done. But I feel like some of that is pressing, like almost like pretending that it doesn't exist anymore. Like you know, oh, we don't yeah. say. We don't say the diet word. We don't talk about people being fat or thin, um, and that's great. But if the if the behaviours are still there, then the modelling will still still be there for those kids. You know, A like that's percent. that's not actually really addressing the underlying root cause. It's just sort of skimming no. around on the surface. And the
0: the bias and the shame will still shine through. Yes. Regardless even if we're pretending to look the other way and pretend that it doesn't exist. It's it's sort of like the same as pretending race doesn't exist or colour doesn't exist. Yeah. We have to we have to learn how to speak to these topics in ways that are conscious, not just looking the other way, not just ignoring yeah. them.
1: Yeah, a hundred percent. Okay, let's roll into recommendations. So apart from uh, Yoga and Abhyanga a <laughs> the and Ogre, what would, what would your recommendations be?
0: Surprise, surprise. Um, okay, I've got two really amazing books because, like I said, I think it really does require this deep inner work and some tools in this department are definitely helpful. So I've got one that's kind of a new book. It's called The Body is Not an Apology, The Power of Radical Self-Love and it's by Renee Taylor. Really, really awesome work. I feel like that's, yeah, very much like my, my growing edge, what she's putting forward in that book. And there's also an old book that I think is really great as well called Women, Food and God. Women, Food and God, I think that's right, by Janine Roth. Do you remember that book? It's kind of like a Yeah, an old classic, women, food, and God. So they're my two recommendations.
1: Great. Um, And I'm going to recommend a bit more of the inner work side of things. And actually there's two things. So one is, and I don't know if I've ever recommended it before, although I've referred to it, but um, she is a manifestation expert and her name is Lacey Phillips. And we'll obviously put links to all of this in the show notes, but she has uh, various different online courses and a lot of them delve into, and I think I already referred to it in this podcast, but like working through the shadow. And i found, especially if I think back to the recent (laughs) trigger with the incorrectly sized jeans, I was able to go into her programs. I've got like an a la carte version of all of her different courses and choose the ones that were going to help me work through whatever shadow aspect was of myself that was being triggered by my body image and sort of try and deprogram that stuff at a subconscious level and journal it and think about it and so it it's working on many levels like there's part of it that's sort of a meditative experience, but there's also active parts where you you know, think of actual mental triggers and, and apply it to your everyday life. So it's, it's fairly holistic and, and integrative. And, um, I've been doing a lot of that. And the other one is an app and I think it's called, I'll link it in the show notes anyway, but I think it's called hollow sync. I think it's called hollow sync. I wish I could, I wish I'd written it down, but it just came to me. Um, and it's also just guided meditations And they are quite long, like about 35 minutes. And actually it's not guided. It's just music and it it works with the different brain waves. And then it's got Mm. sub, so it it takes you into like alpha, theta and those sort of deeper brain waves. Um, And apparently it has the technology to take you down to like um, the same level as like years and years of meditation sort of level expert, which I suppose arguably we would be at this point anyway because we've both been meditating for quite a long time, but whatever um and then it has like affirmations so there's very it works on various levels of the subconscious anyway but then it has various tracks and they work on different things and there's one that's um about like loving your body and so it has um amazing yeah and it has like uh affirmations in there that you can't hear that aren't audible but that are coming in and they come in in in, like the second half of the meditation so you're in uh a really receptive Receptive. and yeah receptive state where it just goes straight into your subconscious and starts to sort of reprogram and you just have to lie there so I started doing that for the first time in ages because I was like I really just need to sort of um reprogram some stuff that's coming up so they are my two recommendations and I think that that is a wrap for this episode what do you think she says that's a wrap Thank you so much, as always, for listening to the Elevate podcast. And don't forget to subscribe, rate and review so we can keep bringing these conversations to you all.